Welcome to the Lady Palace Podcast. We are your hosts, Bella and Amanda. We're just a couple of gals who are on a mission to shake up the status quo around women's health. Come and delve into the depths with us as we start the conversations to empower, educate, create change and connect you back home into your lady palace. Now it's up to every woman to know what's inside of the ovaries, the womb, every part of her vagina. They different sizes, shapes and all colors. Life starts from a yoni, straight from our mothers. Sex. Fertility. New creation and the taboo. Let's start a conversation. Your yoni is your homie, so lift her up higher. Ladies, say you're proud. I love my vagina. Woman, power, goddess, flower, lady, palace, clit, clit, womb. I'm a woman and my body is a temple. And my yoni is connected to my mental. All right, it's the Womb Tang Clan with Bella and Amanda. Welcome to the Lady Palace podcast. In this episode, we interview the divine Jane Bennett, who is a researcher, writer, counsellor and educator surrounding women's health. We dove into her incredible book, The Pill, and spoke about why The Pill is a clinical shutdown of women across generations and why especially every young woman should read it before making the decision to take The Pill. We also spoke about why it's important women connect to their cycles and understand why we actually need to embrace our periods. Jane shares her wealth of knowledge across the years from social work into discovering a new world of natural fertility charting. Her book about bloody time is all about the importance of recognizing menstrual health in the political sphere and how we are actually entering the period revolution. This episode is not only for menstruating women, but we invite brothers, fathers, boyfriends to understand more about the female body and our cycles. So share this one and we hope you enjoy. Jane, thank you so much for taking the time out on a Friday afternoon to join us on the Lady Palace podcast. We and our listeners are very grateful to have you on and to be able to share your incredible knowledge and your wisdom with all of us. So something that we do at the Lady Palace for our um, listeners kind of at the start, we share what cycle day we're on to kind of see where we're all at. So maybe we could start with with that for all of us. Okay, well. I'm on probably day, um, you know, 10,000 and something, having gone through menopause. Okay. <laughs> a little over um, 10 years ago. Yes. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. And how was that experience for you as well, the transition? It was very interesting. I, uh, my cycle, I had a very regular cycle most of my cycling years and at around 47, sometimes when I was 47, it started to become a regular. I thought, oh, I was, you know, I wasn't expecting it this soon. Mm. <laughs> I was a little missed, I have to say. So I went to, and I really, I realised how much I love the regularity of mm. the cycle, and I know not everyone gets to experience that. Um, uh, so I went to my friendly uh, traditional Chinese medicine guy who had a lot of expertise and training in uh, 
TCM for gynecology and uh, had a treatment with him and I got a regular cycle back for another 12 months or so. And that was long enough for me to start to get my head around, okay, <laughs> this will be happening soon. Yes. Um, but really I, I had, didn't have, um, you know, too much trouble with sort of physical symptoms um, and whenever I did, whenever they started to build up, usually when I was doing way too much and mm. <laughs> um, getting a bit stressed, uh, I found for me uh, acupuncture and Chinese herbs was brilliant. And we always sort of really deal with those and then maybe a year later, you know, that would happen again. So that was sort of mainly, I'd say, over a period of four or five years. Mm -hmm. uh, but I really... Um, it, it wasn't particularly problematic. I guess more, you know, I think what's not talked about all that much and, uh, you know, for people who don't have really strong symptoms, which can be really distracting and debilitating, um, is, you know, really that, that change of life and what that, what that means. And people, because I work in this field, people, you know, before I went through menopause, oh, you're going to run something on menopause, and I felt... I can't really to like go through it. I need to sort of understand it. Mm. Um, and I haven't even done that much now because because I have so much, you know, work around uh, the fertility cycle and um, yes. menstrual education. Um, and I think for a lot of women there are many things that come with menopause in terms of change of identity, change of stage of life. Um, and, you know, for many women they're, they're still sort of bringing up children or they're looking after other family members or they're at, you know, peak times in their career. So there's, there's a lot of different things that can happen at this time. And yes. I do think primarily it's a great time to really do a big reassess of, of self-care, um, mm. you know, whether it's physical or emotional um, yes. and spiritual too, for that matter. Absolutely. And, and really allow some time for those things because it can be a, a wonderful time to really um, embrace, make, you know, steps and changes in our life. Yes. So sorry, that I love was that. No, I love that. That was incredible. Yes. And that's the thing. It is such a big, I think for women, we do really sort of go through so many different transitions throughout our life really, isn't it? And it's mm. kind of our womb play is such a significant part through all those changes, like mm. for women going through puberty and then motherhood into pregnancy and then birthing our children and then also to um, when we go through menopause. So the significance of our womb and our hormones plays such a major part in those big transitions. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So, Bells, what day are you? I am day six currently, so just finished my bleed. It was more aligned with the new moon that we had or the full moon. Full, the moon. full moon. Yeah, that's right. Oh, so yeah, I'm, I'm day seven. Yeah. And it's really interesting because we've all synced in the clinic as women. So we're all cycling together now. Yeah. Which is really incredible to see. Um, I used to live in a boarding school and in year 12, all the girls, there was about 15 of us. We all would sync up almost to the day and all of the tutors would know because we'd all go and get like chocolates and just you know, heat packs and cry <laughs> together <laughs> so they would know, yeah, which was wonderful to see. But, Jane, I think you 
delved into a little bit about your story and you mentioned that um, with menopause, you wanted to go through that first before sharing your story and before empowering other women through that. So I'd love to kind of hear a little bit about how you did get through. Um, I was looking at you before your profile, you started off in social work. So how that transition went from social work into the work that you do now, was that something, a personal experience that was a catalyst for that or what was that kind of looking like? Uh, Very much a personal experience and I do think, to my knowledge, anyone working in this field, it really really starts from that because that's the the epiphany Mm. really, you know, whatever, whatever doorway in to understanding our own fertility, our own cyclic body uh, tends to then, you know, you know, really push the evangelical button, if you like. Mm. Um, but uh, for me it was I in my mid-20s I was working in a uh, mixed modality natural health clinic in Sydney with a woman called Friendship Ganesh and no, uh, she offered natural fertility management, which was a... A non, um, it was secular, so non non religious uh, teaching of fertility awareness, which at that time uh, she was the only one doing that. That was groundbreaking back then, wasn't it? That work groundbreaking. She really was groundbreaking, and and her focus was you know women's empowerment and health. Mm. And uh, so I, uh, I I saw what she was doing. I thought it was really fantastic. But it still took me two years to actually knock on her, her door and and you know learn about it for myself. And when I reflect back on that, uh, it was that was because um, nothing in my life up to that point had given me any idea or suggestion that I could know my body well enough to use that information for contraception. To, to avoid uh, an unwanted pregnancy. Um, and the other factor that, that, that made the difference was a new boyfriend who was really supportive of it. And we went along together and we learned about it together. Great. So that, because of, there was that unknown factor, um, that really helped me have the, have the confidence to have that, to have that support. Um, but once I learned it, I really saw how sort of incredibly empowering it is and uh, incredibly useful. So, you know, we got the information in those days. It was a sort of an audio tape and some Romeo sheets and, <laughs> you know, explanation. Uh, so took that home and, and uh, started charting, you know, temperature, mucus yeah. and uh, secondary symptoms and so on. And within a month or so, you know, it's like, this whole world started yes. to unfold for me and to really see, oh, that happens for me on day 14 or day 20 or day, you know, 25. And um, it was just such a, a growing awareness, which, of course, went on and on and on and on over all the uh, menstrual months uh, from that time. And, you know, once... You know, for women uh, and your listeners who have had that, a similar experience, once you come to see that there's a, it's really valuable to know what day of the cycle it is, that it tells you so much about yourself really in all ways. Doesn't it? Um, you can't not know that. Mm. <laughs> um, and I think all of us become a bit, you know, as I used the word before, evangelical, really wanting other women to experience this and to know, you know, whatever choices you make from that is 
totally personal. Yes. But just to have that extra fabulous layer to, to understanding yourself, knowing what's going on, you know, physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually, yes. um, and make choices uh, based on that. And that every cycle is different as well. So we might have a template, but then it's it's a fascinating window into ourselves. Isn't so it? Of course, you know, as you can hear, I really got that big time. Yes. <laughs> and then wanted to work with Francesca. And uh, you may not be surprised to know, I still work with Francesca. Amazing. Know, we still, um, uh, you know, write resources together mm-hmm. and teach together and um you know so it's uh it's been an amazing journey for me so that mm-hmm. i really became as a as a social worker and i still think uh, that training for me was really valuable and for a lot of social workers um <clears throat> become allied to allopathic health mm-hmm. for me i feel like i became allied to naturopathic health yes uh care. so so it, I, you know, I decided early on I really wasn't a working in clinic myself person, mm-hmm. <laughs> but I really became, you know, I was very interested in the cultural change, very interested in um, the sort of education for uh, health practitioners mm-hmm. and of recent years, you know, very much uh, mothers and daughters and, and women wanted to get involved in menstrual education. Yeah, and I love that work that you are doing now um, around the women for the mothers and the daughters um, around their menstrual cycle. And we know that, I mean, in Chinese medicine, the menstrual cycle is so significant. Um, it, the healthy menstrual cycle also is a reflective of our re- health of our reproductive cycle. Um, so for you, are you able to share with us sort of the importance of having a menstrual cycle and what a menstrual cycle can mean to women? Wow, that's a, a huge question. <laughs> a wonderful question. No. Um, <laughs> how long have we got? Yeah. <laughs> I feel like now, um, you know, having an understanding, and even, even now, I mean, I don't have a menstrual cycle myself, but I'm still learning all the time. Mm-hmm. Learning from you know the amazing work that's going on around the world in you know with activists, with, uh, in research, in some authors, in uh, research into you know women's experiences. Because there's a big so there's a big menstrual movement now, isn't there? It's just huge. It's like a period mm. revolution, yes. which is so wonderful Here to see. Absolutely, uh, it is, and it's it is wonderful to see, and and of course. Women get inspired. Uh, I'll come back to the question in a minute. But women get inspired and will, will out of their own creativity, which is a, a wonderful thing that, that can really get um, amplified and opened up through menstrual cycle awareness. But through that enthusiasm and through their own creativity, they, they get involved in so many different ways and it's, it's just a total delight to see uh, women express that in so many different ways, in theatre, in art, in music, in, in writing and, you know, and, and some healthcare and different age groups they want to work with and, and so on and so forth. So, so, yes, there is a revolution happening. Um, are you aware of the book about bloody time that's just come out? No, but we did. I have seen that you've about bloody time. This is this is the one that you've written. Oh, oh wow! About bloody time. I love it. Congratulations! Love well, about bloody time. So <laughs> this is 
This is fantastic. So this is something that you've just been working on? I've been working on it for quite a few years uh, with the Victorian Women's Trust. So it's been, uh, it's been, you know, under the umbrella and supported by the Victorian Women's Trust and many of the uh, of the staff there, as well as many of the volunteers there, and Karen Pickering is the other author. Um, so it, we really, uh, we've certainly looked at it through a, a feminist lens as well, mm-hmm. which hasn't been done very much you know and I, I'm not right on top of where and how it exactly has been done but mm-hmm. mostly it's it's certainly historically it's been ignored mm-hmm. by by sort of um, at least academic feminism yes. um, you know I, I'm happy to be wrong about that I'm not I'm not an expert on that but that's that's my understanding um, so that's part of you know Karen's real expertise that she brought to it is really sort of being able to look at it through that, um, you know, political sort of economic lens Mm -hmm. um, and see where this is um, disadvantaging women and disempowering women so powerfully and why it's totally... You know, it's totally not doing anybody any good anymore. Even the even workplaces and uh, yes. so on that where women feel they can't talk about it, and they can't say why they're unwell, yeah. um, or they're they're experiencing symptoms, or even just tiredness. And, and that's the and why th- that what. And hopefully there is through this revolution now that within the workplace that um, women will be able to have sick days included for, you know, their menstrual cycles, for painful periods, for endometriosis. And I think the same even applies to women going through IVF because that's such a common thing now as well, that if women can have time off work without having to feel shameful about having to hide their issues, um, then it just makes it, more acceptable yes. um, and then it starts to change the culture around it doesn't it yes. so because we're seeing in so many other areas social responsibility you know environmental responsibility sustainability in so many different companies that's becoming norm and that's becoming part of their work but this is still an area that is yet to really be properly embraced and I think that once, you know, they do have more of an understanding of what women do go through, then they can realize that it's for their benefit as well. Like it's when everyone, when all the individuals thrive, the workplace can thrive as well. But it's about, I guess, facilitating that education for everyone, for men and women. Because we were talking earlier, we were like, imagine if males had testicular migraines all the time. Yeah. You, you know what I mean? There would be there would be time out. In, definitely in the workplace, they'd be like, okay, you can have a day off if you've got a testicular migraine. But whereas for women, we just don't really, you know, it's kind of like suck it up, get on with it. Um, yeah. Or just hush, hush. Like we, it's not something that's spoken about. So there's the biggest need for this. So congratulations. Yes. Oh, thank you. Yes, we're, we're very excited that we launched it in Melbourne in uh, July. <laughs> we had four launches around the state. <laughs> that was a lot of fun. Oh, um, and one of the things we did research is, uh, you know, women's experiences of, of menstruation and menopause and perimenopause uh, in the workplace. Mm. And, uh, you know, quite a lot of women spoke about you know, the, the difficulty of feeling they can't, 
you know, that they would they would basically lie to if they needed to look after themselves, they mm. would have to think of something else. Which you have to we have to think in, in twenty nineteen is is massively disempowering. Absolutely. Um, and of course it's women's choice or menstruators' choice as to whether they want to um, you know, whether they want to be open about whether they, if they have their period, if they feel safe to do that. So there's a, there's a lot of considerations. Um, but we do talk, in the book, we do talk about this and we do make recommendations about it. And the Victorian Women's Trust, uh, they have a, um, a period, a menstrual policy that's, that's on the website that people can look at as a template. Mm, a fantastic. And their suggestion is to separate it from sick leave mm-hmm. um, and leave if you need it so that they have three levels to it. So one is if you need it, you can have a day of the month. Mm-hmm. Um, you can, if it's possible, given whatever is on the schedule, which often for them it, it is possible, to work from home. You know, it can make a big difference to be able to stay comfortable, to not spend yeah. an hour or longer a day, you know, if you're really feeling uh, a lot of pain or backache. Um, or tiredness to, to not have to spend all that time standing up on a train or tram. Um, you know, you can imagine. And the, and the third level is if, um, if, if you're experiencing, you know, any particular symptoms related to your period, you can at work um, maybe have a, have a rest or move to an area, you know, like a couch with your laptop and have a rug and a water bottle mm. and just continue at the pace you're comfortable at. So mm. what they found, they did a trial period for a year and they, now it's been in place uh, formally for three years and they found that of the, they've got 14 full-time workers, uh, women workers who administrate, and they found that uh, there was only one half day used of that's, leave in that time. That's However, good. because a lot of the anxiety is, oh, this is just another sort of, uh, you know, excuse to take time off, yeah. um, they, it was used when it was really needed. Yes. And, and also if you know your cycle and you know, you know, you might have a rough day the first day, um, but there's no point going to see a doctor about it unless there's something changing, then you don't want to spend that, you know, sick day sitting in a waiting no. room, you know, organising appointment, getting a certificate, when really what you need to be doing is having a, having a rest. Yes. Um, but what they did find is that the women at the trust really felt, I mean, they didn't know they needed us, <laughs> um, but when it was put in place, they found, uh, they, they, they found it was really supportive. They felt like they could come to work as their whole selves. Mm. They were more, this is some of the things they've reported, they were more able to be there in all parts of themselves and feel supported in that Um, and therefore generally weren't needing much adjustment Mm. because they felt more able to be there as their whole self. They were able to uh, work more uh, fully steadily. So it wasn't even where there were times of, of maybe working from home or this one half day off, there might have been a little bit more since that trial period, but uh, they, they're, they're more able to generally, um, uh, you know, manage their workload mm-hmm. according to the different of the month, according to the times when they've really got a lot of energy and mm. feeling really creative. We're in our estrogen really phase. Yeah. It balances out. 
It does. Uh, possibly they found it actually makes them more productive overall. So um, that's one example, uh, and there are a few around the world starting to pop up. It's one. It's great. Um, amazing. It's amazing to see that there is change in this and it's actually something that we are progressing and we are moving forward with this and it's exciting to think that the next generations what it's going to look like for them as well Mm. what it's going to kind of you know in terms of education and I know that's something that you're really um, involved with is the workshops that you do so the mother and the daughter um, empowerment workshops but also I love that you do the father and the daughter empowerment workshops as well could you tell us a little bit about that as well and the importance of men understanding what, you know, their mothers, their sisters, their friends, their daughters go through in this? Mm, absolutely. Uh, I have been running uh, Father Celebrating Daughters workshops for quite some time and these are just dads only. Um, you know, there's, a, there's certainly a place for having fathers and daughters. It's just not, not something that I've done. Um and I find uh, for a lot of men, uh, their, you know, when we talk about uh, their experience of learning about menstruation when they were teenagers, it was so it was so minimal, you know. And they were often tre- even ones with many sisters, mm. they're often treated like you know need to know basis. You don't need to know, um, and really kept in the dark about it. So. It was only when they later had uh, girlfriends or a wife that they that they started to you know have have a sort of a closer understanding, and I think this really is a shame uh, because uh, you know what what I have found with talking to men is and these are men who have daughters so they've been married for some time and they have daughters uh, is that actually understand more and, generally speaking, have much more empathy than we give them, we, you know, women give them credit for. Um, and they want to be supportive but often feel, especially if their partner or their daughter, for that matter, has, um, you, know, uh, you know, quite se- severe difficulties premenstrually or menstrually mm-hmm. um, and just feeling like they don't know what to do. And uh, so to be able to talk all that through and give uh, and help them with some, some strategies, help them with, you know, much more understanding about uh, what it's about um, and what it can be like um, and, and how to stay connected and support their daughters. Now, it doesn't mean that that's a sort of a, an instant no-one's going to get embarrassed <laughs> yeah. um, sort of message uh, because we're, you know, we're, it's a culture that's in the process of change, so mm. so that can be that can be tricky. But for uh, one of the th- really important things for fathers, I think, is not to step so far away that they never have a that their daughter thinks even at fifteen or sixteen that dad knows nothing about this. Mm. Um, they, you know, it, it not only is is it practically useful for fathers to say, "Oh, look, I'm going shopping. Do you need any pads or tampons?" Mm. Um, or or whatever else it is, um, or uh, you know, just 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 ways to normalize uh, can be can be really helpful. Uh, but I think it uh, it really helps girls not only to have the support of mothers and. and course mothers are going to be because they share the experience they are going to be central to to that but to have the the important man in their life yes um yeah 
to acknowledge and affirm and show that they're they're proud and supportive of their daughter uh, has a massive impact on that girl's uh, positive body image, her self-confidence, her identity, and her capacity to really embody her cycling uh, self mm. uh, in a in a positive, uh, empowered way. Yeah. Um, much as mothers and women can help with that, if there's nothing coming from the masculine about mm. that, it's it it um, it stays sort of a sense of quite unconsciously, but a sense of something hidden, a sense of something not quite right. Yes. Um, and yeah. um, a lot of that happens not through anyone consciously wanting that to happen, no. uh, but just because we haven't had the modelling as parents to how to help create a mentally positive home yes. uh, for the girls, women in that home. Yes, because that's when we could start to see, and like you said, it's not anything conscious or not anyone is sitting down and saying this is, you know, what our intention is, but there can be that element of shame. That's where that can kind of reside. And then that creates, you know, the masculine relationship then for girls with any man in their life, whether it be a male boss, they're, you know, boyfriends or anyone they can come in contact with that subconscious shame around it that I think when we are empowering the men as well they do see that this is incredible for and women it's to normal yeah it's completely normal yeah and celebrating women and celebrating women and their menstrual cycles yeah yeah because half of the population go through this <laughs> yeah exactly and we are all here by by virtue of it Yes. yes, exactly. Yep. Men need to know because that's where they came from. They came from a womb. Yeah. Yeah. Which they know, but they don't, you know, to really see that if we look Stop. back, say, 10 generations, 10 generations of women, how many How many women are there? Do you I mean, just as an arbitrary figure. Oh. Ten, oh. I mean, there'd be millions. Oh. I mean, worldwide. Over, over, <laughs> a, thousand, over a thousand uh, indirect ancestors right. on okay. their side. Uh, um, right. And if you think of each of those, now, of course, we could go back many more generations, but just as something we can probably mm. hold in our head, uh, each of those had to have a menstrual cycle, a healthy cycle, yeah. uh, in order for us to be here. Absolutely. Yes. And many of those, if not all of them, would have had many difficulties because of that, whether it's to do with, um, you know, so society's sort of um, understanding about periods, uh, expectations about what women can and can't do because they have a womb and have periods, uh, whether it's just managing it and trying to keep it secret and hidden, whether it's to do with uh, sort of pain, tiredness, um, you know, how, how the cycle was running, or all sorts of things like that, or heavy bleeding. All of that had to be managed for years on end in order for us to be here. It was Quite secret women's that. business. It really mm. was, wasn't it? Having yeah. a period was a, was a secret women's business. We mm. didn't really talk about it. Nothing was shared. Um, mm. It was only back uh, in the time of the sages or around the red tent when women would gather together mm. and to be able to bleed together and share their stories and pass the wisdom down. And I feel like in the current age that we are in now, we're very lucky because we're starting to see that that swing towards creating this change. So women yes. don't feel so uncomfortable talking about their menstrual cycle. And I think, you know, for women, it's so important to be 
able to have a conversation with their mothers and not feel shamed or uncomfortable to ask their mums, how was your period or did you have any issues struggling to conceive? So we start to have an open dialogue Mm, definitely. And we yeah. talk about, I mean, this is normal for us. This is normal for you because we talk about this stuff all the time in clinic. And so yes, yeah. talking about periods and poos yes. and babies <laughs> and what day you're in in your cycle. Yeah. It's so, it's so normal. But I think for so many women out there, it's not, but I, I guess what we are seeing is, it's that women now, when they come into the clinic, I'll be like, okay, so what day are you? And they'll pull out their app and at least they're starting to track their cycle. Yes. And so on this, I mean, you you were one of the first people to really research about the contraceptive pill. And so you wrote a book called The Pill um, and that came out, that was released in 2008. So really a pioneer in this whole research towards the pill, understanding the side effects of the pill and how detrimental the pill can be. So um, thank you, because that was groundbreaking your work. Um, how did you come to writing this book? You know, what was the urge for you to get this information out? Mm. I, uh, it, it, it really became, became a, you know, a passion and something that had to be written. And my co-author is Alexandra Pope, who uh, was in Australia at the time and she has moved back to England and she runs a, an organisation called Red School, so very much involved in menstrual education. Uh, and so she she and I met in the early 90s uh, and, of course, hit it off like crazy because we had this sort of shared uh, passion for uh, understanding the menstrual cycle and the empowerment of the menstrual cycle. So what disturbed us? Um, over the years and we had many conversations and kept thinking someone should write a book, <laughs> not yes. realising it would be us, but um, is that because of the attitudes toward menstruation, uh, the marketing uh, and promotion of the pill and the, the extraordinary money-making of, of this long-term use of hormonal contraception um, is possible because of uh, the general attitude we have to uh, the menstrual cycle as, well, really it's a nothing. It's not useful only a couple of times in your life when you want to actually conceive and have a baby. Mm -hmm. uh, so let's just switch it off, manipulate it, knock it on the head um, mm -hmm. without any really any sense of the looking at so what, what wasn't happening then, which is there's a little bit more research happening now, is looking at, you know, from a scientific point of view, what are the benefits of the menstrual cycle as a cycle apart from being able to conceive yes. uh, at certain times. Now, I find this a really um, central issue because so much of our education um, around, you know, our, maybe at school, in other places around uh, reproduction or the menstrual cycle is just so da 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 da. This is how conception happens. This is ovulation, conception, in a pregnancy, so on and so forth. If that doesn't happen, there'll be a period. And that's mm. sort of virtually. And whereas if we average it, the average Western woman who, who perhaps cycles right through um, her fertile years, 99.5% of her uh, cycles will end, her ovulation will end in a period rather than um, a conception. So mm -hmm. 
what about that? That's right. I mean, what's that about? Let's teach that. Um, and that, yes, it's amazing for being able to conceive, but let's really open that out and look at what is this cycle about for women? What does it do for women? What are the hormones, these changing hormones every day of the cycle? What what do they do for us? As I said, there's a little bit of research going into that now and I, I look forward to seeing a lot more mm. from that research perspective. But a lot of women who are observing their cycle are really noticing that for themselves. You know, we know, you know, uh, at least generally speaking, what, what hormones are, you know, whether it's estrogen or progesterone or um, luteinizing hormone or so on, what hormones are peaking at different times in the cycle, when in the cycle we have less. Um, and a lot of women who are, who are tracking their cycle start to become aware of, okay, well, when this is happening, this is how it manifests for me. This yes. is how, how it influences for me. And, of course, a lot of women will have similar things, but most importantly we need to understand its impact ourselves um, and then we can make you know good choices absolutely good choices as to our time how we care for ourselves uh when is the peak time to be to slow down and and uh, you know soften and, and take some time out definitely because we <laughs> are cyclical beings and we're a reflection of the macrocosm that is nature and like nature we also go through our seasons so menstruation is considered our winter then um, we go into our follicular, fa- follicular phase, which is our spring, and then ovulation as summer, and then our luteal as our autumn. So when you can really harness those seasons and live more, uh, yeah, I guess as we're intended to, we do thrive through that. And if that is something that workplaces or more people are recognising, then, I mean, that could still be, you know. I'm definitely more productive after I've had my period. Yeah. Spring is my a estrogen's estrogen surging. Yeah. I've got my angel wings. Everything's feeling amazing. Yes. I'm like, okay, and then I'm getting ready for ovulation. I mean, for me personally, I was, I was an, un- I had a teenage pregnancy when I was 15 and uh, my mum took me to a natural fertility specialist. And so she taught me how to track my cycle. So I've been tracking my cycle for a good 22 years now. And to have that embodiment of self and to understand self and, you know, and then I've had two babies in between and to really understand your cycle is so important for a woman to know when you are at your best and to know the times, like you were saying, Jane, to slow down. I think if we can teach women um, from a young age about how to track their cycles and embodiment of their cycles and cycle awareness, would be incredible because um, Bella and I were saying it's almost like there's a stigma around saying natural fertility awareness. Like as soon as young women hear the word fertility, they're like checked out. So it's like even changing the language and going, okay, let's maybe we could create cycle awareness. And what were you saying? It was cycle empowerment. Empowerment. Yeah. Especially for those young girls. Like I remember um, through school when you do the health classes through, from like year 10 onwards, it was all about how not to get pregnant and how not to, um, you know, contract a STI. It wasn't actually a place of empowerment. And this is what happens in these changes. And this is what our bodies go through. It was 
met with such a fear of do not get pregnant because this will happen. There's that classic scene off Mean Girls where the gym teacher's like, if you get pregnant, you will die. If you have sex, you will get pregnant and you will die. (laughs) Like there's a lot of fear mongering around it. Um, And I think as well, like we were saying, with connecting into our hormones and connecting into those seasons, when young women do go on the pill, that is something that creates a disconnection because it does shut down our hormones and we don't actually get to enjoy that connection to our hormones. Um, and let let, And let alone know who we are. Yeah, exactly. That's the frightening part as well. It's like you're just going through life numb almost. It's like you shut down that whole creative um, reproductive cycle. Maybe Um, for our listeners now we can go through – sort of what I guess for the young women as well listening what the pill actually is and what it actually does to our hormones and the potential side effects as well that we do start to see if that is a decision that some of our listeners are about to make or if it is something that they're considering coming off why it's important to know the ins and outs sure um Absolutely. I think, uh, you know, before I get into that, I'd just like to say, you know, I have full respect for the important decisions that Mm. girls and women need to make around their fertility and around contraception. And I really understand uh, young women particularly wanting to make responsible decisions uh, for their own life, for for their life choices, for their family and so on, and that's really important. Mm. The, The thing that I think primarily gets in the way of being able to make the best decisions is lack of information, Mm. lack of really knowing uh, these things. And very often the people that they go to for to really, you know, to be responsible and to find what they can do about uh, having a sexual relationship and not wanting to conceive, in, I would I'd say I feel safe to say in most instances uh, are getting very limited information mm-hmm. and uh, the number of women I've spoken to and I dare say for you both of you too over the years who look back at that time when they were first prescribed the pill or other forms of hormonal contraception um, just feel they knew nothing about it and often were then on for 10, 15, 20 years before getting some other information and then realising that so many of their their symptoms, their physical symptoms, their, um, you know, how they were feeling in themselves, how they understood themselves, uh, their sexuality, um, their libido, uh, so on and so forth, were impacted by the pill when they go off it. And realising that they're already, you know, many years into adulthood with having a a skewed experience of themselves, of their um, mental health, of their their relationship choices, of their identity, of their self-esteem, of their um, emotional experiences, their creativity, so on and so forth. It really does impact everything. We've been robbed. Sorry? We've been robbed. Of robbed of having all these experiences. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, the you know, I, I I really want to put it back to girls and women uh, and say, you know, of course these choices are yours. Mm-hmm. However, 
make sure you have as much information as you can and keep learning. And yes. you won't always get it at the first port of call. So, uh, you know, it's, it's going to be something, you know, if you're a, a girl getting, uh, starting to think about a, um, an intimate relationship uh, and, and contraception, know that this will be a, a, a factor for you for many decades. So it's really important to become an expert yourself mm-hmm. and really understand what's happening. Um, so just to, you know, there's many different uh, windows in this house, many different ways we can look at this. And one is to understand how powerful hormones are. So in our natural hormones, um, uh, estrogen is actually, uh, to, to current date, we understand there's actually 12 different hormones fall under the umbrella of estrogens. The most common is estradiol. Uh, and estradiol is, as a lot of hormones, are incredibly powerful in tiny quantities in really tiny quantities. So um, I think the research says that uh, for uh, cycling women at the peak of their hormonal cycle, um, if you had a, a teaspoon of estradiol, uh, if you distilled the blood of a quarter of a million women in that state, so uh, 250,000 women, you would get a teaspoon of estradiol. And it's mind-blowingly tiny. So, so when we measure these hormones, we're measuring them in parts per trillion. Mm. So another way to think of it is 40 train carriages of, um, what do you call it? Tonic water mm. and one drop of gin. Wow. Oh, my God. When you put it you know, like this that. This is the concentration. So, so when we... When we think about uh, sort of casually mucking around with our hormones, you know, we're inevitably going to have an impact beyond just our desired impact. Now, some women, when they start to take the pill or have a um, implanon inserted or a depo-provera or a patch um, or a vaginal ring, uh, some women have immediate or a marina. Uh, a, a hormone-releasing IUD, uh, some women will have immediate um, response that's quite severe and just, you know, no, I, I, you know, I want to do this but I just can't. Mm. So it might be severe suicidal depression. It might be fainting and nausea. Uh, it might be severe headaches. Uh, there's, there's a whole lot of things that can happen really um, quickly for some women and in some ways, horrible as those experiences are, in some ways I think, they're the lucky ones because they're not on it for decades. Uh, for other women, there will be a slow build of symptoms and they may not notice, they may not know that it's to do with the hormones or it's triggered by uh, these this changing hormone and these aesthetic hormones, um, mm-hmm. uh, which will impact, for instance, one of many things, but it will impact uh, the pH in their uh, intestines and it will impact their capacity to uptake nutrients so that over time no matter how well they eat over time their nutritional balance will be out and this will have an impact uh it will and that will impact then whatever their uh genetic predispositions are so it might uh, include um you know inflammation of certain kinds it might be digestive problems it might be um headaches uh migraines uh, all sorts of things will come from whatever their predispositions are. So um, that's why for a lot of women, you know, especially if they start taking it in their teens, their, 
that they may not notice for a while and they're becoming adults with this scenario. So they'll think, that's just me. Mm. I, I just don't have a high libido or I don't have a libido. Or yeah. uh, as one woman told me who had been on the pill for 20 years, she just, and she was on it at a time when she wasn't, hadn't been in a relationship for quite a while. She just thought that's just what you do. Um, and when she did go off it, uh, she said, you know, a month later she woke up one morning and thought, oh, what's that? I feel really different. What is it? What is it? You know, she was just really interrogating herself and she and she had this bit aha and she said, I feel happy. Mm. I feel happy. She wow. had she identified as she thought she was someone that just had a low level depression uh. and no libido. And that was her. She just mm. thought it was her because She'd been on it since before she was an adult. Yes. Um, I mean, uh, to me, that is just such such a tragedy Isn't and it? such a um, an abuse that it took her to till thirty seven to even get the information yeah. that there might be a problem. Here. Yeah. Because it is, it is the biggest uncontrolled trial on women in history. There has, they have never taken a group of women and done a quantitative study and said, let's put them on the pill when they're 20 or that when they're 15 and see what the effects of them, of what happens when they're 35. And, you know, so many women we see in clinic as well, it's the same story, been on the contraceptive pill for 20 years, um, have just sort of been going through life unaware um, and then suffering the side effects of the depression or the anxiety or having mid-cycle bleeding where their body's getting to a point where it's rejecting the pill. Um, And, yeah, it's just it's so full on to see what we actually put up with really. Yeah. And even what we consider to be normal because we just think that that's the normal um, of what we're experiencing whilst we're on the pill is totally normal. And I think that's what's alarming. And like you said, that's what the greatest tragedy is, is we have a baseline of what we actually think is the norm. Especially if, you know, our mothers have gone through it as well or our friends around us go through it as well. And so it's normalising that experience of, you know, not thriving in our lives and maybe potentially, you know, having a low-grade depression, that's becoming normalised because that's what we're surrounded by. But those women that are, you know, starting to go off the pill and noticing the difference in mood and even um, I know in your book you mention a lot about the nutrients as well that the pill can rob you of, um, which are vital for conceiving and having a healthy pregnancy. Um, so I guess creating that awareness is the first, the first step, um, for women. And that is a dialogue that can come from mothers, but I think anywhere. And it's, it's, mm, what were we going to say, Jane? I was just going, "Mm." (laughs) 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 it's it's about creating that education and that platform. And 
I mean, this is the thing by having these conversations on podcasts, I think it's, we're able to, you know, reach a wider audience, but still, we still see young women at the age of 13, um, being prescribed the contraceptive pill and they'll go to their doctor. It's just lack of education within the system of, uh, of the medical school as well. Um, that women will still be going to the doctors for acne and the doctor will say, you've got terrible skin. Let's, let's, Mm. um, prescribes you the contraceptive pill and it's you know and this is what you wrote in your book to think that the contraceptive pill was purely um made for those reasons of contraception yet now it's stepped outside of what it's actually intended uses for Mm. and now you've got it things treating um endometriosis for acne um for anxiety yeah all these other conditions it's like here just take the contraceptive pill Mm. And it's and no, you go. Sorry, <laughs> no, sorry. Uh, and of course, it doesn't treat any of those things. No, it, it, at the very sometimes it masks symptoms, but it doesn't fix anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I was speaking to a doctor recently who has you know has become a passionate menstrual educator herself. And uh, in her clinic, you know, whenever someone, uh, you know, asks a question or opens the door to the the whole subject, she just dives in. But she said part of the shock for her was when she, after she she did her medical training and she'd been in practice a few years and then then was looking at her own cycle at the time when she was wanting to conceive and so on and started to learn about it. And she said it was so shocking because, uh, there, there was no education in, in the, the years of um, studying medicine um, and all that they were taught was that ovulation happens on day 14. Yes. Which, oh of my course, gosh. just standard textbook. Yes. But very often it doesn't. It might not for everyone. Well, there was very poor uh, education about it and, and she's mm-hmm. quite sort of passionately trying to, in her clinic, trying to address that. Um, and as you mentioned, there's a lot of use of the pill off-label um, and even to even to just eliminate cycles. Now, of course, the, the, the inverted commas, the period that happens while using the pill or other forms of hormonal contraception um, is not a true period. It's, it's a, a withdrawal blip. Yes. Um, and and uh, many women have known that if they, if they didn't take the placebo pills, they could just not have the withdrawal bleed at all, um, and other forms like, um, say, the marina or implants will just do away with any bleed, except that a lot of women just have random bleeds. Yes. Um, so, you know, I think just to cycle back to, <laughs> to cycle back to our um, original, you know, where we started from is this is all possible and this extraordinary, um, extraordinarily widespread use of the pill and prescribing of the pill uh, is possible because we culturally have no, uh, no value. We don't value the menstrual cycle as an experience of women in and of its sense. We don't normalise it and we don't dignify it. No. Uh, so, therefore, the question doesn't come up for girls and women as to, Oh, well, it does in some cases, but mostly it doesn't come up as to, well, what am I doing to my cycle with, yes. these, with these drugs? Yes. Um, and you mentioned girls uh, being prescribed, you know, I, in my understanding I've certainly heard of 12 and you mentioned 13. Um, 
The, the, the curious thing with that is that in mo- the, the, the central principle of pediatric medicine is is minimal um, interference. Yes. So, um, you know, if you need to treat something, you do it in the sort of simplest way, the least invasive way, and then only progress that gradually as you need to. You know, curiously, and this is something that's easy to get really, really seriously pissed off about, mm-hmm. is that as far as girls and their period, we seem to be culturally okay with just getting rid of it, mm. you know, just switch off if there's a problem, rather than looking at what if there's a problem, what what is that about? What you know, what what imbalance does that uh, uh, does that indicate? What lifestyle factors are there? Uh, of course, um, the pill may be part of a raft of possibilities, and it's not going to go away anyway, so any time soon, yeah. as far as I can see. So you know, it may be there. If we, if we applied that model of least invasive first, it yes. may be a short-term thing that can help some people, and I'm all for people reducing suffering. I'm all for yeah. um, using what we've got to do that. But I would like much more information and much more respect for the menstrual cycle as it is and to work with it and to help girls have a positive relationship with it yes. and to understand it and work with it for themselves because they're going to have it for a long time and That's it will right. really enrich their life. Um, they'll have far greater health and well-being Definitely. if they have that good relationship. Whether they, whether it's an easy menstrual cycle or not, and we do know, and you would see it in clinic, uh, many girls and women have really difficult times yes. with their periods or, or premenstrually. Um, but there are so many great therapies. Isn't that, there? You know, really make a fabulous difference uh, in, in almost all instances. So um, I would like us in, in this model of informed choice uh, to, to, for, to really for girls and women to have a have, to, to much more broadly have an understanding of the different things they can do and different practitioners they can And I think as well creating more of a culture and changing the language that can be used around the period because it can be deemed as a burden that we go through each month, especially for younger girls who haven't been taught the value of our menstrual cycle. It can seem like an inconvenience, you know, if you've got sport on, if you've got social events. I remember I had um, a few friends that were on the pill and each month they would skip the sugar pills so that they wouldn't actually bleed. So they just never actually bled. And I remember I did it a few times as well myself, but then I did have this thought that what's actually going on then? Like if I'm not actually bleeding, like we are designed to bleed and shed each month, which we also see is women's form of detoxing each month. If we're not doing that and our bodies aren't in that natural flow, what's actually happening but it was so common for girls to do that. I mean, that was, you know, 10 years ago. I don't know if that's still something that is quite common, but it was considered such a burden. And if you, you know, was swimming each week and things, you know, like, oh God, God," you know, to go and do this. And even to have that conversation with like your male swimming teacher that I can't participate this week. Um, But I think, yeah, like changing that language as well around it and for girls to feel empowered. And it is such a sacred time each month to bleed and 
you know, back in the day we used to go and pour the blood on the tree and it was our connection back into nature as well. But that disconnect is really common as well. So to be able to change that, but as like a cultural change, I think that's probably where it would stem from. And it, it does, and it comes back to the mothers, our mothers as well. You know, what was our relation? What was your relationship like with your mother? Um, did you have a mother that was quite open, felt comfortable to talk about your period? I know that with my mum, you know, I had a really great first menstrual experience, and I know that with with my daughter Winnie, who's just turned six is, you know, she sees me every month bleeding. She's like, Oh mommy, you're wearing a nappy again. <laughs> um, and so it's just where I'm totally normalizing this. And it's like, mum, I came out your vagina. And so it's really just having these, um, honest conversations to say, yeah, I'm a woman and you're going to be a woman one day too. And, um, to have, and to be able to talk to her openly about her period and, then be able to show her her options when she um, grows older as well. Um, And it's the same around her first sexual experience as well, giving her a safe place to be able to, you know, have her first sexual experience because then that will shape all her sexual experiences moving into a young woman. And so it really does start at home um, being able to have these honest conversations. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Do you have, and of course, um, a, a lot of women uh, haven't had the modelling that you've had, or haven't have never met anyone that was comfortable talking about periods, mm. uh, whether it was at home or at school. Uh, so you know, it comes a time when their daughters are, you know, turning 10, 11, and they uh, they want to they want it to be positive for their daughter, and suddenly that becomes really important where. It, you know, they were just sort of accepting of the culture as it is. But suddenly it's like, well, I, I don't want my daughter to have a, a, a difficult experience or to feel ashamed of her body. Um, so, but they don't, for a lot of women, it's, well, how do we do that? Yes. You know, we don't, not familiar with people who uh, can speak openly and comfortably and supportively about periods and mm-hmm. and what are all the little ways we can help normalize it in a home yeah. uh, or in a school what are the, what are all the little ways that we yeah. can dignify it or what are all the little ways where we 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 perpetuate shame even if we don't mm. personally identify as having shame but we perpetuate yes. perpetuate it through through silence through mm. uh, the invisibility through not having menstrual products available in our in our toilets, yes. uh, whether it's at work or at home or in, in clinics. Um, you know, all of the many, many little ways that can that can help uh, women feel seen and heard. I remember um, a, one of the women who responded to the Victorian Women's Trust um, uh, survey spoke about she was a midwife and she'd recently started at a new hospital uh, that had a busy midwifery section and she commented on you know the on the staff toilets had a range of pads and mm. just on the bench and she said it was it was it was so fantastic because uh, they were busy 
Uh, sometimes, you know, running around, trying, you know, trying to even get time to go to the toilet. And to yeah. not then have to, you suddenly find you've got your period, not then have to tra- traipse back to wherever your locker is or wherever your desk is to rummage around and find a tampon or pad. Mm. It's just, it was normalised. It was a place where mostly Amazing. women worked. Yes. Mostly in an age group that they're going to be needing these. Let's just provide them. Yes. Uh, it wasn't rocket science, but it was... She she commented because it was so unusual. Mm, I love that. Well, maybe then to kind of finish up and to wrap up. I could keep to, talking. I know. <laughs> could go on about this. We. I would really love to know, and you have touched on this definitely, what would be your ideal world if we could, you know, start from the start and we could create our own educational programs or, you know, if it's something that's run through government, what would it look like for you in terms of empowering from the beginning young women into this, yeah, like incredible gift that we do have is learning about the period and our menarch. But what would that look like in from your eyes and your perspective? Well, gee, wonderful Wonderful question. <laughs> I'll be dreaming about this tonight. Um, it, it's a world where, you know, it's widely understood the important, the, the dignity and uh, importance of respect for the menstrual cycle and for menstruators. Uh, and so girls would grow up, you know, having questions answered and, and having a comfort with it really from before they even remember. Mm-hmm. So if, if in the home uh, it's a normal subject, it's a normal experience, they grow up with that. Um, and, of course, there's a nuance there because, you know, some women do have pain, some women do have difficulties. But if it's, that's understood as not um, just because periods are awful or disgusting, it's actually just a health issue and something that, oh, okay, I need to take a bit more care next month, um, I need to look after myself a bit better than that difference or whatever else someone is needing to do for themselves, that that becomes just a, a normal positive aspect of their self-care, of their understanding about their body. So girls grow up in that atmosphere with a sense of, um, you know, excitement about becoming a woman in their body uh, and that as they do, as they go through puberty and when they get their first period, that they are honoured in, in that, that that is a rite of passage uh, that is very positive for them and they, they, they go through that threshold um, and start that process of learning about themselves through being a sick with being. They feel uh, because of the training so far and the ongoing education and, and just uh, modelling that's around them that they would uh, stay connected with their body and they would be enriched by the learning the ongoing learning every month, every cycle, um, and they would it's an ongoing, uh, the education would be available to them and just from the women around them. Um, so if they're connected to their body, they're connected to nature through the cycles of their body um, and therefore grounded, confident, um, the world around them uh, honors this and not just by what we currently have is a world that's geared for a non-cycling body. Medicine is geared for a non-cycling body. Education is geared for a non-cycling body. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas in a, in a world that really embraced 
uh, menstrual well-being, we would we would uh, manage our public life in all those fields uh, for cycling and non-cycling bodies mm. equally. Yes. Oh my gosh. Yes. That sounds incredible. <laughs> oh, that, that sounds that me. Yes. I was like, oh. That was beautiful. And I think through your incredible continued work through raising awareness and creating empowerment, we, you know, this is a possibility of, you know, maybe not a, our generation, but, you know, the next couple of generations, hopefully the next, that that is something that is a possibility. And, there is a period revolution and I don't think it's something that's all of a sudden going to be taken away or it's all of a sudden going to stop. It's just going to grow from here. And I think having these conversations and creating these platforms around menstrual wellbeing is pivotal. And I think that we're definitely on our way. Thank you, Jane. We do. We're so grateful to be able to have you on and for our listeners as well. I'm sure that they've all taken many things away from this. So hopefully this is something that can continue to be shared. So thank you for your work. And we're definitely going to be buying your book, The Bloody about bloody time. About bloody time. Yes. Yes. Cannot wait. Oh my gosh. I'm going to go and get it today. <laughs> so we will put a link up to your website and then our listeners can download any information that they need. And you can also purchase your books, The Pill and It's About Bloody Time from your website. And do you have any work? I don't yet, I don't yet have About Bloody Time. Okay. Okay. But that can be purchased from the VWT, which is Victorian Women's VWT.org.au. Okay, beautiful. Um, we'll link to that in the show in notes. Melbourne, a lot of your listeners will be in Melbourne, so readings have it. Okay. Oh, wonderful. wonderful. Okay, great. We'll be sure to include that then. And, uh, and are you running any workshops coming up? Have any workshops coming up? I, uh, I've got, uh, I'm going to Europe in a few mm. weeks to run trainings. Fantastic. Amazing. Yeah. <laughs> Around yes. menstruation. <laughs> oh, love it. Right. Going international. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, thanks again, Jane. We, again, express our utmost gratitude for you to take this time out. And, yeah, we're so excited that this is something that will be normalised one day. Yes, bring it on. <laughs> yeah. The period yep. revolution. Yeah, exactly. Thank, Thank you. you so much. Thanks, Jane. Thanks Have a wonderful you. day. Nice to meet you. Thanks. Bye. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.